0: for some people burning the boats and going all in and all that makes sense. But it didn't it makes sense for them because that's their version of success. My version was I wanted the skill set. I wanted to work with the forest service. I wanted to fly to Finland to work with the Finnish police department, the National Finnish Police Department on behalf of Accenture. I wanted to run a field office for Air Force Office of Special Investigations and run a joint task force in East Africa for a year and run a field office in western turkey where i was a diplomat to the turkish national police i can't do that as an as an entrepreneur i needed those experiences man so when i'm i joke about this but now i actually take it very seriously i think i've lived five lifetimes at age 47 already and i'm so grateful so i want people like career is tough and some careers suck But if you can get the right balance and really understand the outcome that you want from it you can choose the right place to be right don't chase the money chase the experience
1: welcome to tech careers and money talk what if you could hang out with experienced tech industry executives ask them about career growth equity compensation investing financial strategies and more then take an insight or two to guide your own career and lifestyle Each week on the show, Christopher Nelson shares an in-depth look at how to navigate tech careers and hyper-growth companies, select the right companies to work for, earn equity, and build a passive income portfolio. Christopher is an author, tech exec, and principal and co-founder of Wealthward Capital. His goal is to give you the information you need to grow your career, build wealth, and make an impact. Now, here's Christopher. Hello and welcome to Tech Careers and Money Talk. I am your host, Christopher Nelson. I've been in the tech industry for 20 plus years and after climbing my way to the C-suite, working for three companies that have been through IPO and investing my way to financial independence, August of 2022, I'm here to share with you everything that I've learned and introduce you to people that have done the same thing. And in today's episode, I'm excited to introduce you to Maurice Philaging. Maurice Philaging, 20-year technology executive with Accenture. He also worked as a police officer and a military officer as well. He completely punched out Financially Independent in 2021. Today, we're going to spend the first half of the episode walking through how he positioned his career and how he was focused on Financially Independent while working his W-2. And then in the second half of the show, we're going to deep dive into his strategies and tactics that led him to where he is today and how he's continuing to grow. And as he says, try life on. I'm so excited for you to meet Maurice. Let's dig into this right now. All right. Thanks so much, everyone. I'm excited to introduce you today here on TechCruise and Money Talk to Maurice Philogene, 20-year technology executive like myself. He spent all of his career in technology at Accenture. He was also a police officer, also a military officer as well. So we're really excited to share his career story with you. And then also he's somebody that punched out of the workforce in 2021 financially independent. He's somebody that I respect his mindset, his strategies, the way that he's approached it. And the beautiful thing about it is that now he's leaning back into professionals like yourselves, encouraging them to try life on. And I really, again, love and appreciate the strategies of how he's traveled to, you know, I'm not going to quote the number because I know you will, but a lot of countries. And in there, you know, you really develop meaningful relationships. You get to know the culture. It's really a beautiful thing. So everybody, Maurice Philogene.
0: Well, Chris, it's my pleasure to be here, man, and like minds. And I'm so glad you started the podcast to help people out. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have a lot to offer them. So it's my pleasure, dude.
1: We really are. And I think I really want to start back at the career story because I know like many of us, you came out, you got out of school. I myself saw Accenture. I started Accenture in 2001. When did you start with them?
0: 97, right out of college.
1: Right out of college. I did too. And I'm like, great opportunity, build skills. Walk us Mm -hmm. through how Accenture and your career started unfolding.
0: So I, just as an end point, I'm 47 now. And as you said, I'm out of the W2 world. And even though I'm very entrepreneurially minded and I'm real estate guy and all that type stuff, I'm grateful for my careers. So I ended up at university of Virginia on doing mechanical engineering on an ROTC scholarship. So my military career came from that. I was actually Navy first, but air force was offering full scholarships to minorities and engineers. I'm like, I'm double on that. Yeah. So they gave me a full hundred percent ride. I got commissioned as a second Lieutenant into the air national guard right after college. Four years later, the Guard wasn't a place for me because it was very static. It's just in one location in Baltimore. But I got recruited into something called Air Force Office of Special Investigations. I was a military police officer. Got recruited to them and became a federal agent and finished my career as a federal agent through what's called OSI, which is a sister agency to the FBI. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wonderful experience. I ran field offices all over the world, Turkey, Las Vegas, D.C., A task force in east africa etc so that's the military side but the accenture side or what was anderson consulting in 97 right and they got rebranded in 2001 because i started traveling when i was 15 consulting was very appealing to me because i had two offers coming out of college on the civilian side i had proctor and gamble running a production line in hunt valley maryland same place every day same factory i couldn't do that And then Anderson gave me an offer, Accenture gave me an offer. And when I went on a visit with a consultant, he was telling me about his lifestyle. Right. Look, he worked on a project for six months. And if he didn't like that project, don't sweat it because you could be on a different one. He also told me, because my money head was going, he was like, if you work out of state, you get per diem. Like all of it made sense. So I got hired with them, took the gig, primarily federal government, but I started to use Accenture for my own personal needs. Like I wanted to be international. So I got an international role. And I stayed 25 years. I didn't have to leave, but the writing was kind of on the wall. Right. And it was a beautiful journey. I'm so grateful. And then, as you know, I leveraged those two paychecks for years and I built a real estate portfolio. Yeah. So that was the Accenture journey 25 years of MC work.
1: You know, and so 25 years at Accenture, if somebody is going to talk to somebody who's been there, the first question that they're going to say is You were there 25 years. Why weren't you a partner? right right
0: (laughs) forget that yeah that was intentional so i started 97 in 2013 i got promoted to senior manager which is the 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 level right under partner and i was even a little bit delayed because i deployed so many times with the military my boss elaine i'm such a fan of hers several times she asked me to enter the partner track she's like you have the skills you've created a lot of revenue for us and you should be a partner and i'm like nah i'm good and my justification for a relative salary that i was getting 170 maybe 200 grand towards the end i was working solid 40 hour weeks sometimes over but generally i could control my schedule i didn't like the thought process of being a partner having more management scrutiny on me and then if you're a partner you have visibility to upper management you have sales targets and for the relative I don't know, 50 grand, 60 grand, more money. I just didn't see it as appropriate for me. What I cared more was Elaine was the best at this. Elaine, tell me what you want for your account. Maurice, I need $25 million in sales. I got you. Let Let me go work on this. I'll be back in three weeks. She would trust me. And because she trusted me so much, I got outcomes for her. But the outcome I wanted for myself was, eccentric, give me them awesome paychecks. Don't worry about me making partner. I'm not worried about that. I'll take those paychecks and I'll go invest them in real estate systematically. So it just didn't make sense for me to be a partner. I wasn't interested. If I did it, Chris, I would have been chasing somebody else's version of success. That was not my version of success.
1: And that's where you know I want to get into is at some point because Accenture is a very upper out culture, right? And we find and yeah that yeah. culture permeates a lot of corporate culture, a lot of technology companies. Where well, wait, what's next? Okay, you're the manager. Okay, are you going to get the senior manager? You're going to get the director, the senior director. When are you going to make VP? But at some point. You were looking left and right and said, Wait a second, is that money worth my time? Yes. And I think many of us don't really look. We're actually the asset. Our time is this very precious, highly valued asset. Where do I want to spend that? Number one, where did you discover that? And then how did you coexist with this upper out culture?
0: I felt it in 2013. So 15 years in, and I've made this post on LinkedIn and I've like reposted it several times. I was analyst, a consultant. I'm a consultant, now I want to be manager. I'm a manager, now I want to be senior manager. I'm a senior manager, now I want to... I was like, wait a minute. The goalpost just keeps moving. (laughs) I'm not getting more freedom by getting these higher titles. I'm getting more responsibility and more things that I have to take care of that are crunching into my personal time that I'm using to open restaurants and build real estate and travel to 100 countries, and I, I didn't want that. The way that I competed with the culture was, I didn't, I didn't care. Mm. What you do is you found the right boss to sit under. Right. Elaine, in the last seven years, and then my boss before her was this lady named Gail Nix. Gail, I went to Gail in 2006 and I said, Gail, you run this global thing and I have interest in being virtual and supporting global projects. I don't want to just work for the federal government. And I showed her how her hiring me, would generate revenue for her. Mm. So I created a solution for her to support, not a problem for her to solve. Like, oh, I wanna be virtual, can you help me? No, 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 Right. I worked seven years for this amazing human, virtual, and like Finland, Norway, Sweden, Korea. I was all over the place because I was using Accenture to get those experiences. That's what I wanted, was experiences and relationships and all that. In 2008, when I got the Jones to be a police officer, I went to Gail and I said, Gail, I think I'm about to quit. And she said, why are you going to quit? I said, man, because when I was on active duty for OSI, I was helping people. Like I was finding missing children. And Mm. it was a wonderful experience. And I said, I just want to be a street cop in my neighborhood. And she's like, you're going to give up 80% of your salary? Yeah. So being the beautiful human that she was, she was like, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to find a way for you to do both. I went to Day Academy for the police department. And at three o'clock when I was done with Academy, I would log on and Gail was like, just work as long as you can. And if you can only work four hours because you're tired, then take four hours of leave that day. Right. So long story short, I wasn't competing with anyone at Accenture. I was using Accenture to create my own experiences, my own journey, my own relationships with the head of the Portuguese FBI, who I briefed for Accenture many, many, many times, who's still a good friend of mine. Right. Wow. While other people were chasing titles, and I'm not saying that that's wrong. Right. But what I'm saying is that was not my version of success. My version of success was relationships traveling around the world, building skills, and then on the outside, building a massive portfolio that would take care of me for the rest of my life.
1: And so you talk about this too. This is one of uh, your, your writings on LinkedIn that I think is so powerful is you're working with a purpose. Yes. That's focused on your own greater purpose, right? Yes. Yeah. I, that's the mindset shift, right?
0: It should be. And the way that I articulate lifestyle design now on social I didn't have this all designed in my head when I was in my twenties and thirties. I'm saying it all in reflection, you know? right? Of course. But man, it all—it just all made sense to me. It made sense to leverage the W two, and what I say about purpose and purposeful—a career is a purpose, your God given talent to be alive. Right. That's a purpose. Like my best friend in high school, Allie, she graduated Yale Law. She could Mm. be at a law firm making $2 million a year, but she's an immigrant rights attorney in California, probably making less than a hundred grand because her daddy worked with Hugo Chavez back in the seventies, God rest his soul. And she wanted to be part of that lineage. Right. That's her purpose. She has won. She is doing the thing that makes her alive and she gets up every Mm. day. That was being a police officer for me. I didn't have a problem working eight hours a day for Accenture and then going to be on the street at night for 10 hours. Never had a problem with it because it was my God given reason for those 15 years to exist. Can I tell you I loved it? I loved being able to give back to people in that way. So that's a purpose. And at Accenture, I enjoyed it, but it was not my purpose. It was purposeful. I wanted those paychecks. I wanted Mm. the skills and I use them and I leverage them the way that you know that I have. So I like to draw that distinction.
1: In that, in being purposeful, the thing is, what I heard from you and I hear from you all the time is you were delivering value You were making business cases for you to be able to have this lifestyle where you created a partnership that said, I want to be purposeful and intentional in the way that I'm approaching you, Accenture, so that I can fulfill my purpose over here.
0: Yes. You nailed it, but I will say one thing. (laughs) I was very, very quiet intentionally. There was very few people at Accenture who knew that I was a police officer, and there was very few people at the police department who knew I was a management consultant. I never wanted, yeah. like if I wasn't at the office, for someone to be like, well, he must have worked patrol last night. He's tired somewhere or something like that. Right. So for 15, 20 years, I kept it all quiet. Never told anybody.
1: Well, I think this is part of your story too, as we start getting into you know, some of yeah. the conversations around investing is, in. we've talked about this, is when you start bucking the status quo, when you start saying- I don't want that promotion. I think I'm fine. You know, people are like, are you okay? Like, do I need to check in with you? And I'm like, no, I've actually got this whole other plan. Well, what is that? Well, it involves commercial real estate. Oh, we better bring in the counselors now. Right? I mean, when you start forging your own path in this Mm -hmm. standard quo world, it can be really lonely.
0: Chris, not only was it lonely, let me just paint you a picture of a day in the life of that when I was at the height of it, when I was full-time, full-time plus real estate. Work all day, Accenture, client calls, whatever. Get on the metro from DC, get back to the house at 6 p.m., cook dinner be with my oldest, my youngest came a little bit later, do homework with him, lie down at 7 p.m., wake up at 8.15 p.m., put on my uniform, get in my patrol car, get to roll call, hit roll call, go have dinner with the fellas and the ladies and stuff, break. And then 11 p.m. to 3 a.m., I was humping. Like I was a very proactive police officer. Mm. Once 3 a.m. came, assuming there's no calls, I would go to the back lot, lean my chair back and just wait for calls. It was me trying to get a little bit of sleep. Like I'm just like this. And then you develop what's called radio ear. You hear your call sign or your boy calls for help. And you're like, I'm on my way, right? Right. Okay. 6 a.m. comes. I go back to the house. I lie down for an hour. 7 a.m. My son wakes up. I start getting him ready for school. I put on my Accenture clothes. I go to court on the way to Accenture. I stop in. I check in with the state's attorneys. My cases are usually solid, so they don't need me the whole time. I get my overtime. I jump on the train. I go back to Accenture and I press repeat. That was four days a week i did that and then on the weekends i would do real estate wow man i look back on it now and i'm like how the f did i do all that but i loved it so much and i was building all this other stuff on the outside and back to your point of it being lonely it was lonely it was very lonely because i couldn't tell people and i had what i pen as entrepreneurial depression i couldn't find you there was no linkedin for me to find chris Right. All I had was aisle six of the Fairfax County library to go get information. We weren't sharing with each other. Right. Like who was doing what I was doing? Plus traveling to all these countries, plus being in the military. There are people who do unique things like that. But what I'm suggesting is at the time I couldn't find anybody. And it was a very lonely process.
1: Well, and I think something else that's really interesting about the journey too, right, is just for people in general, many people have this perception. I see Mm -hmm. this a lot now, and this is why I have a lot of respect for you advocating for the W-2 where you learn skills, you built relationships, and it enabled you to become an Mm -hmm. entrepreneur because now you're working a lot less. But many people believe that the transition to get to entrepreneur or stepping into an entrepreneur, like, let me go eject the W-2 because this life is easier, you know, because they see the result that you have now. But the transition, I know for myself and my wife, as we were working corporate jobs and we wanted to learn real estate, it was you put the kids down in the evening and we're on the couch you know, studying real estate, like trying to figure all that stuff out.
0: It's hard. I'm not a proponent of burn the boats. I think W2 is wonderful. I briefed the head of the Portuguese FBI. I helped Accenture get into the US Forest Service. My old boss called me. I've been gone two years. She called me and she said, hey Maurice, I want you to know that we just won $150 million BPA at Forest Service. Your legacy continues. Because I was the first person to get us in there. So she's still keeping me a part of it. For some people, however, I understand. I do understand for some people burning the boats and going all in and all that makes sense. But it makes sense for them because that's their version of success. My version was I wanted the skill set. I wanted to work with the Forest Service. I wanted to fly to Finland to work with the Finnish Police Department, the National Finnish Police Department on behalf of Accenture. I wanted to run a field office for Air Force Office of Special Investigations and run a joint task force in East Africa for a year and run a field office in Western Turkey where I was a diplomat to the Turkish National Police. I can't do that as an entrepreneur. Right. I needed those experiences, man. So I joke about this, but now I actually take it very seriously. I think I've lived five lifetimes at age 47 already. right? And I'm so grateful. So like career is tough and some careers suck, But if you can get the right balance and really understand the outcome that you want from it, you can choose the right place to be, right? Don't chase the money. Chase the experience.
1: Chase the experience. And I think this is something that you really talk about in your Try Life On program where it's like you help people understand that in the W-2, you can seek freedom.
0: Yes. You can
1: seek freedom in your W-2. And so is it the five freedoms that you talk about?
0: Yeah, it's the five freedoms. So the goal of coaching that I do is to help people build lifestyle. They don't need a vacation. When you see me in Lebanon or wherever the heck I go nowadays or doing business for Quattro and okay, next week I'm going to be in Cyprus. I don't take vacations anymore. It's just how I live. I want people to build a framework by which they can live their life and they feel they don't need a vacation. But that's all focused around Understanding what your perfect day is like. I want to be in Barcelona. I want to feel the breeze off the Mediterranean. 7 a.m. Coffee's going. I have a nanny. I have enough money to get a nanny. I work from a coffee shop. I have three calls with investors. I do my entrepreneurial stuff. Then I go hang out with Chris. We break wine. We have a glass mm-hmm. of wine together. F it. We have a bottle of wine together. Because we're <laughs> such good friends. I go home. Like whatever your perfect day is, you take the five freedoms: time freedom, financial freedom, geographic freedom, freedom to execute your purpose police officer, right? freedom to build meaningful relationships. Only reason I'm a developer in Cyprus is because I built a relationship with a guy who's already doing it. right? If I just talk to Accenture people, I'm not a developer in Cyprus. You need to build relationships mm. with people who are doing things you wanna do. We build goals in those five buckets. Inevitably, those goals have blockers, things that are stopping you from making it happen. We co-create the actions to get over the blockers. At the end of the process, It's not that you're going to live your perfect day every day. That's impossible. But it's that you have the framework to live it whenever you want to, which is like, I'm in DC right now, brother. But on Tuesday, I'm back on a plane to the Mediterranean because I can.
1: Right. And that's where you want to live. And I think it's so important for people to have this mindset because the reality is in this program, you're not going through the five freedoms and saying, okay, now go put in your resignation papers just to make sure that people are understand because I think people get this twisted real easy. They're like, Oh, to get the freedoms, I got to go eject that. No, you do that in partnership with it.
0: Yes. So in my case, so let's use my example. I wanted geographic freedom. I wanted to be able to work from anywhere in the world with Accenture. I wanted to support clients internationally. So I created that role that I presented to my ex-boss, Gail. It's not that I quit Accenture to go do that. It said I presented a solution. I found a way within the construct of the W-2 that I already had to get the outcome that I wanted. On my blueprint, if you will, it would have said geographically, I want to support everything all over the world. I want to immerse in culture. I want to feel good. I want to learn new languages. I want to eat new food. And I want to be in a business context where people respect me in a foreign place. Okay, so I didn't quit. What you do is get a virtual gig. And if you can't get it within your company, then maybe it does make sense to go externally. The thing about real estate and assets, here's the thing. Everybody can make good money in their career. I got that. But you wanna buy assets along the way because at some point in the future, you wanna be able to continue your lifestyle. The W-2, that stream of income is going to stop. You either don't wanna do that job, physically can't do that job, or your company is going to tell you, man, you've been here too long, right? Right.
1: And I want to get into that in a second, but I also want to share. So, and again, this is so important for everybody to understand is that if you have a vision for your life and you go into a job, you can make this work. Now, my example is when I started with Accenture, I wanted geographic freedom. Like I came out of school and I wanted to travel. I wanted to see the world. And so Mm -hmm. Again, looking for those opportunities, and Accenture was a great company that provided it. In 2001, right after 9-11, when I started, there wasn't a lot of travel. Oh, you're in this, you know, they had operations centers. So I was in one in, in San Ramon in Northern California. But I kept looking for different opportunities. There came this opportunity. Well, we're actually starting we have this new SMB technology that we want to take to the enterprise. It's called salesforce.com. You could take cool. this training, right? And so I started taking the salesforce.com training. The next thing you know, they're flying me all over the place because nobody had this training. I look for that scarcity and I look for this growing opportunity. Mm-hmm. The next mm-hmm. thing you know, not only am I being flown all over the United States, the projects are very short, they're maybe 4 or 5 months. In between, mm-hmm. I'm taking breaks. I'm going down to Argentina and I'm learning Spanish. I actually I get to the point where I, I would travel to on site for a week on a week off. The week off, I would actually be in Argentina and this was like early 2000s. I had this crazy way that my BlackBerry was forwarding to Skype that would then forward to my mobile phone in Argentina where I'm taking (laughs) calls on the street. And this is what I want to share with everyone is that when you have the vision and you're able to add value to the companies and to your point, who knew about that? Nobody knew about it. Like I kept that to myself. I kept that under wraps because the thing is, is sometimes when you are trying to do something, that is not the norm, you have to be respectful of the fact that people aren't going to understand
0: that. Yeah. And sometimes you tell the wrong people, the crabs in a barrel thing starts to happen. I don't know. It's just something I prefer to think that people are good. I inherently like people. You just have to be very careful about your dreams. Like if you're putting your dreams out there, all of a sudden shit starts hitting your dream or people start downplaying or saying it's not possible. I don't like possible. I like to make extraordinary ordinary. I like to go to Finland Arctic five times in five months. I like to work for the Portuguese FBI or the National Spanish Police. Whatever that thing is, you can do it inside the construct of your company or find the company that is doing that thing and get hired by them. I talk about it all the time. Leverage the W-2 more than it leverages you. Use it for the experience that you want. I'm glad I was a police officer. I would have did that for free. But man, I got myself into a position where I had a take-home car as a part-time officer. I had a take-home car. I would volunteer for stuff. I would do task force stuff all over the county Mm. because at night I was generally dealing with bad people. But during the day when I would volunteer, I got to shut down intersections for kids walking to school. You know how good that made me feel that (laughs) I could just get out of the car as a police officer in my uniform and be like, just stop, stop, and let the kiddos come across. And I would talk to them while they're coming across and be like, I'm not even on duty in these cases, right? I'm just in my marked car. The fact that I could do that gave me so much joy, and Mm. I was just leveraging that job for the joy that I wanted out of it, man. I think people should think about it more holistically than just, I'm just gonna get a paycheck.
1: Yeah, they definitely have to. So we're gonna take a quick break right here, and then we come back. Second half is all gonna be on financial independence, breaking down what it is and the strategies to get there. So we'll be right back. Right on. on. All right, and we are back with Maurice Philogene career at Accenture, and now financially independent. I'd love for you, I think that you, again, posting on LinkedIn, where you have a lot of great social content, you really break down the steps to get to financial independence. Can you walk people through that quickly?
0: Yeah. So what I talk about is, first, you got to have a why. My why was very clear in the beginning. I wanted some level of freedom. And that came from I started traveling when I was 15, I traveled in France. It really hit me as an inner city kid that life could be different. And then when I was 21, I found personal finance for dummies. Then I realized if I could generate passive income, then I would have the space and time to go have those feelings that I had when I was 15. That's it, that that was my why the whole time was I just wanna do what I want, when I want, how I want, period. Okay, you gotta have a why, okay? Then you gotta have paychecks. You take those amazing two paychecks, and you pay yourself first. You are your number one bill. Why is it that the cable company has more priority than future Chris or Maurice? It doesn't. You pay yourself first, you store money away, not save money, you store money. So meaning if you get net five grand a month in your paychecks and you have $2,500 worth of bills, then you have the ability to store 2,500. You're storing it. You're putting it somewhere systematically And once you have enough in that storage to buy an asset, you go buy the asset. So for me, the asset was real estate. As soon as I had enough money in storage to go buy a piece of real estate or sometimes stock, I would do a couple things here and there. I did it. Now, here's the key. Once you buy that asset and if and when that asset creates some kind of cash flow or equity or whatever, you take that equity and cash. You don't spend that. You couple that with your paycheck and then you do it again. Right, and you store again until you get to the point where you have enough to buy an asset again. Now you're buying asset number two, number three, and what happens is over time the time compresses to get the asset. That's right. The two thousands are a little bit funny because you could get no doc loans and you didn't have to do down payment. Oh, yeah. It was, that was a little bit funny with time, but in general, I was buying an asset like once every eleven months or something, and then by the time compounds, when I hit age forty one, something crazy happened. My wealth just hit this inflection point because the time for me to buy assets was down to a month. I was buying one asset a month. I didn't even realize it until it was happening because I was so systematic about my process over the years that it started to compound on itself. And that's how I got myself to financial freedom. So it was single family homes, 2002 to 2015, got up to 35 single family homes. A bunch of them had equity in them. I sold the ones that had equity. I paid off the other ones. And I found myself with 18 paid off homes generating 160 grand. And that was 2014. And I think I was like 38 years old. But as we were saying before, careers are purposeful. I didn't want to quit. I stayed working for another eight years. When you have enough money to cover your basic needs, you start to realize that money was never the goal in the first place. Right. You realize it. Yes. And I went through it.
1: Well, and the thing is, is it's funny as I started building up my passive income and I was working is like, you're playing a little bit more loose. You're not playing tight and you're in there. And I just remember that before I was thinking all the time, my performance, where am I at versus I know the last role that I had at GitLab when I came in and I was very purposeful. I'm coming to this company. We're going to take it through an IPO, take some more gold coins off the table, but I already had really solid passive income coming in. I was more, how are you doing, Maurice? Let's connect, and I was much more to your point about the connections, and then the work just came easy. The work just flowed, Mm -hmm. and it's so interesting the way that that happens.
0: It does, and now you have the backdrop of why when I was asked to enter the partner track, it didn't matter, because I already had the system for creating wealth on the outside by systematically storing my money and buying assets, If I would have got another 60 grand and then added 40 hours of work time to my week, then I'm taking away from my ability to build my portfolio and have all these experiences around the world, right? So that's what was so confusing and maddening to people. People were like, you've been here 20 years and why are you not partner? And I would just kind of shrug it off and just be like, I know, I want to be partner. It's the same thing. And I know we're talking about the investing side, but I do want to say one thing back on the career side. It's the same thing in the police department. Because I was a federal agent and because I hit the title of lieutenant colonel, I have the qualifications to run a mid-sized police department as a police, as a chief of police. So when I got there, people were like, damn, you've done task forces and murders and espionage and all that. Why are you not a detective? I don't want to be a detective. I came to being a police officer at age 33 so I could be in the huddle. I miss football. Right. I just wanted to go to roll call and just go out on the street and be one of the guys and the girls and could just go do good work. Why is everybody so focused on I got to get to lieutenant or captain or chief of police? Mm. or? That was not my purpose. But the reason I had the ability to say that's not my purpose is because I built this portfolio on the outside. I didn't need the money. I was there for the experience. So mm. that's how it all ties together. Real estate and investing is very purposeful. It is not about money. It is about the ability to live life the way you want to live it. And that's what that money gave me.
1: Well, and I think when you, when you have a purpose... Right. I mean, my my purpose was and is the fact that I want to be able, as my boys are now, you know, nine and ten, respectively, I want to be able to walk with them in a manhood and I want to be able to be present. I want to be able to prioritize that journey and go on some adventures with them and walk with them in that. And. I think when you have that purpose, I mean, this is something that you and I talk a lot about, which is this whole concept that is counterintuitive—not just to W two, but also counterintuitive to investing, which is deleverage. When when yes. you have an investor yeah. and you're like, "Oh yeah, I'm sitting on, you know, these ten paid off homes, or I've got five, you know, paid off homes, and they're just sending me these checks," as my baseline. Oh, you need to exit out of those, and you need to get leverage and lever up. Yeah. I'm actually good. But this is where yeah. purpose, when you, when you apply purpose across W2 and in investing, and your focus is really, where am I spending my time? Where am I lining up against my freedom goals? Mm-hmm. Your whole perception or your whole definition of success changes.
0: It does, brother. And when I got to that level of investing in 2014, where I had the 160 grand, I got really bored because I was still pressing repeat on the same methodology that I had been using since 2002. That's how I got the push into multifamily because I wanted to do something different and I wanted to learn, right? So I did eight multifamily deals on my own by myself. Ah, I had one or two partners, but it wasn't systematic. It was just me learning. Right. Two of them were mobile home parks, which is interesting. So I just bought a house. I'm trying to buy a house. I'll probably close next week. And I intentionally bought that house with cash because I don't want the leverage but I bought it because it's an entertaining house. Like I'm gonna be able to have friends and family come over. Everybody hangs out in the gourmet kitchen and stuff like that. Man, I wanna live. I am true to form to Bill Perkins' book, Die With Zero. Mm. I am no longer optimizing for money. I am optimizing for life fulfillment at age 47. But I put in 25 years of a ton of work. Right. And now I'm young. I lost all this weight. I'm working out like a bandit. I'm spending time with friends. I'm spending time with my kids way more. I'm plugged into life and planet as I should be, man. And I hope people use career to invest so you can get to the point where this is what you're focused on, the good aspects of why we're alive on this planet.
1: I want to rewind it a little bit because, you know, when we're all trying to figure out this financial independence, financial freedom. Yeah. Is when you make that first investment. Cause I'm sure like when you bought your first home and you realized, okay, I'm getting what 500 bucks a month off this thing.
0: It was like 200, 200 bucks. I think there you go.
1: You know? And so you're getting 200 bucks a month. You start scratching your head. You know, and you're saying, wait, how does this work? And then you realize, okay, you have this long view and you're like, okay, that takes out a couple of my bills. Okay. And honestly, what you're doing is you're reinvesting it, you're not using it, but that's in your mind. You're saying, okay, I have cash flow that, you know, if I don't have a job, I can pay a few of my bills. Then you stack the next one and you get a few more, you get living expenses. But there is a point where you understand how this works. And I told you my story where we mm-hmm. sold our house in the Bay Area that, you know, again, became the prized possession. Like, oh, you're in the Bay Area. Yeah. You got to get a home yeah. there. So we had to work for yeah. equity to get the home. Then we sold this home for a couple million dollars, bought our primary residence, five single family homes that, again, all of a sudden started covering all these expenses. And we learned right away. Oh, right. So now mm-hmm. we traded one home for six homes and it covered mortgage, it covered electricity and the home insurance and the taxes and stuff. It's
0: but amazing.
1: that was like Tom, but for you, as you were climbing up, how did you start seeing, okay, this is how it works and having faith in the process?
0: When I coach students now, we create a financial blueprint where they can actually see how that all works, mm. plotted out. I wasn't that prescriptive. When I, when I started going to the library in uh, 2002, 2003, because I bought a place to live, it appreciated 30 grand in three months, and it was confusing. I was like, what just happened? My father explained equity to me, so I went back to the library, and I just started reading books. I just had faith in what I was reading, mm. because sometimes when I would buy condos back then, they didn't cash flow positive. Sometimes they were slightly negative. Sometimes they were break even. But something dawned on me. That if I can just hold on to them for a long time, the rent will eventually go up yeah. a lot. People don't have patience. The one thing I was very good at was systematic patience. Because if you have something that's zero cash flow now, like, man, I'm subsidizing housing. I'm paying a little bit into it every month. That's okay. What I cared about was like I wasn't worried about the average annual return or the cash on cash return. What I was worried about what this thing would actually do for my life. So ten years later I started to feel it like the thing that used to cash flow me 200 bucks was now cash flowing me 600 bucks, 700 bucks, right? Huh? And I have 12 of these. Let me get a few more of these on the plate. Even though I would now get them in like 2013, 14, 15, I'm like, I'm not worried because in 2023, these things will be, that's how I, my mind thinks I right. don't think about what is the asset going to do for me right now? I think about what's the asset going to do for future me later and I'm willing to wait the time. And you can probably tell I'm a buy and hold guy. I don't really sell, sell much. It's what it does for my life. I don't care about rates, not in Quattro world, not when I have investors, but for myself, right? what I care about is, what does it do? Does it pay my bills? Does it give me money so when I'm overseas? Chris, I'm so proud of myself for this. I have to say, I'm proud of 23-year-old me for this. 47-year-old me is so proud of 23-year-old me Because 47-year-old me is still living off the 14 of the paid off places that 23-year-old me started to buy. So even though I have 30 apartment complexes and this and that, I'm still living off the condos that my 20-year-old self bought.
1: Right. That was courage because I think for, for most of us, and it sounds like you got a lot of your education. I mean, I think this is really important on the journey to financial independence. We have to seek teaching. And so 23 year old you, I know you were spending a lot of time at the library. It's funny. A little side note is because, you know, my wife, who's Haitian as well, loves the libraries. And so after talking to you one day, I said, I was just talking to Maurice. Like, is the love of libraries? Is this a Haitian thing? Oh, is it a Haitian
0: thing? Uh, I don't know. It was it was free.
1: It It was It was free. But then from the library, where did you start getting some of your education? Because you probably realized, okay, I I need to know more. I need to get advanced tactics. Yeah.
0: It was when um, library was my main source of knowledge, along with brokers and stuff like that. But the library was my main source of knowledge from 2002 to 2015. If you think about it, Yahoo and Google and those things, they just came around. Like Google was in its infancy in 2004 when I was starting. You know. Yes. In 2015, when I got the idea to do multifamily, because Facebook was listening to me and put an ad in my phone, I went to a multifamily seminar. I walked out of the seminar in seven minutes. It was one of those introductory ones. I'm like, yep, this is the thing that I'm doing. And eventually, I paid 50 grand for a one-on-one mentor. Now, here's the thing. I had 50. I think I sold a condo or something. Because I started to realize, why am I going to reinvent the wheel when this person has already done what I want to do? Right. It took me two years to do my 1st multifamily deal and you know what got me over the hump that mentor getting on a plane from providence rhode island i love this story this brother gets on this older white gentleman gets on a plane from providence rhode island to come see my younger black self okay and i'm saying the colors for a reason so bear with me and he's like clear your schedule for 48 hours all right so craig comes down we start talking this man never really gave me like tactical stuff to do to go buy the real estate what he was doing was messing with my mindset about it Mm. and he said to me what makes you think that you maurice young black dude are not as good as me craig older white dude why do you think i'm better than you why do you think i can close deals and you can't it's like you're not better than me he said exactly go get a deal (laughs) i had a mobile home park under contract three weeks later wow just because that mentor went out of his way to get on a plane to come challenge me because every time I ran into a problem in a multifamily status quo would pull me back to single family. I'm like, ah, I'm good with the single family. I'll just go back there. Mm. This is what mentors do for you. So on an average annual basis now, I probably spend hundred to 150 grand yearly on education conferences, traveling to see people, mentors. I spend a ton because they are where I want to be.
1: Right. And I know that it's so interesting that we will spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on an education where we have a lot of very gifted professors that understand theory of a lot of things, but people are hesitant to spend tens of thousands of dollars with people that have been there, done that experience, and really want to walk alongside you like Craig did to see you be successful and arguably sometimes kick you in the butt when you need it.
0: Yeah, he kicked me in the butt and- I say that all the time, and we'll pay 100 grand for a paper degree as an outcome, but we won't pay 20 grand to someone who's done exactly what you want to do and can get you there in a three month time frame. It doesn't make sense, but I don't blame people because 20 to 30 years of formal education and our family upbringing has told us that this is the path you are supposed to go down. That's right. Now, both of my children know the rules already. They got two things to do in life. One, be happy. Two, learn how to make money grow. That's it. If you want to go to college, I'm not, dad's not paying for it because I don't, no. You, <laughs> you have to be happy and you have to learn how to make money grow. If you want to go to college as a rite of passage or you want to go play football, you want to, I'm, I'm okay with that. But the thing that drives most of our ability in life is creating revenue and not a lot. Some people just need five grand of passive income to live the way that they want to live. That's right. Some people need 10. Some people need more than that. Some people need, just need two. Whatever the number is, learn how to apply your money to that get your basic needs covered and then you are free to build from there and then life changes we don't necessarily need a paper degree but I will not bash college either because we need doctors we need lawyers but I love technical schools there are plumbers who make 130 grand a year there are HVAC specialists who make 190 grand a year but only pay 10 grand to go to the school why are we going into this big system where we're paying 100 grand to get a music degree no nope, I'm not hating on music why? Right. Because it's a system. And don't get it twisted. Colleges are a business. They are a business, right? We have to do self education to free ourselves from all this stuff. And that's what I was very good at doing.
1: And then what did you learn? Like, I know that you understand how the ultra wealthy think, and it's different yeah. than what we think. And in fact, this came to me the other day. Let me know what you think. We're going live with this right yeah. now. This is live. But yeah. middle class thinking is I am going to do my own. Budgeting and bookkeeping, and I'm going to outsource my wealth management. Where ultra wealth is, I'm actually going to outsource my bookkeeping and budgeting, and I'm going to do my own wealth management.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Right? I say it all the time. Like, debt is a wealth tool. Self-education is a wealth tool. Hiring experts is a wealth tool. There's one particular person on LinkedIn, I was so fond of his information, I paid him two grand just to meet with him for an hour. hmm Wealthy seek information and will pay for it, will pay for someone's time because that shows to that person you value their time. They won't waste your time. They will give you exactly what you need. Now, I joke, but I'm serious. For all the relative success that I've had, I think I know 7% of the rules of the rich. Chris, there's so much out there, like even having the conversation with you, learning about posturing for equity as a play. Right? I learned something new. I learned about cost segregation studies and grander multifamily. One of the reasons I'm, I just bought this house cash is because I, I did take a distribution from a retirement account I had, I'm not going to pay any penalty because I have so much depreciation right. available to offset the taxes. I did the calculation. I'm like, no, I'm not going to pay any tax on that at all. The wealthy as their number one tool, they minimize their taxes. They don't react to taxes, they plan for taxes. That's right. And then they take that money that they never paid into the tax system legally and then they reinvest it over and over and over again. These rules are not exclusive to anyone. You have to go out and seek them and put them to use in your own life. I have done it to an extent I can get better like with whole life policies. But again, I'm not optimizing for money anymore. I'm optimizing for life fulfillment. So for everything I've done at this point, I'm like, no, nah, I'm actually really in a good position. I want to go live well. But I do pay attention, and I want to plug one book. I do pay attention, and one of the best books I've ever read relative to what we're talking about is Money Master the Game by Tony Robbins. Mm. And some people like Tony, some people don't. It's not a Tony book. Tony interviews 20 to 30 of the greatest financial minds: Jack Bogle, Mary Erdos from Fidelity, Sir John Templeton. Sir John wow. Templeton, who ran Templeton Funds in the 90s, I learned something from him. When there's blood in the streets, that's when
1: you get in there
0: and you go buy stuff at a discount. I'm so fascinated by it. But um, people have to seek the information themselves and apply it to their life.
1: They do, and, the, and you're right, there's so many different levels to uncover. And I think on this journey, you know, and the greatest thing that I've learned, you know, is when you get on this journey, and I think especially now, things have opened up with the internet and a lot of these conversations about financial independences, you can meet other people and share ideas yes. on the journey. There's so many yes. more people now talking about this, doing this, and encouraging each other.
0: Exactly, and I'm a real estate guy. The last conference I went to was DealMaker Live, meaning I went to a conference specifically to create a fund, a right. non-specific fund. Instead of, i oh, I gonna raise money for real estate? No, I'm just gonna raise money in a fund and we'll figure it out. Now, I don't know if I'm gonna do it, but after what I heard there, I'm like, what? How does this work? And i was just flabbergasted they are skirting the whole financial system they're making their own economy and they're working with private people who want their money to grow in certain ways who want nothing to do with wall street so a friend of mine has a hundred million dollar fund another friend has a 500 million dollar fund and here i'm like maybe i'll do a five million dollar fund and learn because i want to do something (laughs) right it's fascinating man and but you have to go out and seek the information there's me investing $5,000 to go to this conference and then three days of my time, it's one of the best investments I ever made, if not for just the friendships and connections.
1: Right, and I mean, I think that's the big thing you take away from it too. Yeah, man, yeah. Well, I wanna say thank you so much for your time, man. I always get so much value. You know, at the end of every session we do have a little fire round. I'm gonna hit you with five Mm. questions right now and we're gonna get the thoughts, the details. Mm. So right now, what is the way that you keep learning?
0: I mean, it's just what I told you. I, I seek conferences and people who are doing things in areas I know nothing about. Mm. It does not mean that I want to build a fund. It does not mean that I want to build some business. What it means is I want to seek information so I can make an educated decision for me later. That's one thing. And then the other way that I'm in constant learning is my travels. Maurice, you've been in 98 countries over 350 times. You want to see the whole world? No, I want to be in a state of constant learning. When I go to Lebanon, for example, I've been to Lebanon 40 times, I'm starting to understand the country much more, the intricacies of how I get around and people are starting to know me. I have a lot of friends there and what have you. I wanted to learn and immerse in something radically different than what I, what I know. I just happened to choose that country to focus on and it's been awesome. So Between seeking knowledge for business and then just seeking relationships and immersing in culture, that's how I keep learning.
1: What soft skill helped your career the most?
0: Relationships, my ability to connect with people and build meaningful relationships. And that's one of the pillars in my coaching. And I mentioned it to you, like if you and I were just making friends with Accenture people, then we weren't building relationships in this other area of our life that was really important. Chris, there is no less than 30 countries that I could land in today where I wouldn't have a close friend come pick me up. Wow. I'm so proud of that fact. When people travel, some of the mistakes I think they make is they travel as a tourist, they don't travel with the intent to plug into what that community is. So here's a great hack, an example. The next time you go to some place that you don't know, you can order an Uber, that's fine. But when you order the Uber, get the guy or the girl's phone number and say, look, I'm going to call you directly. Come be my driver for the week. You know what happens with that? You build a friendship because you go into talking with the person. You are giving the person a lot more money than they would typically make. They are introducing you to their friends, family, and suggesting little nooks and crannies of the city that you never would have mm. even known about. So now you've created this relationship with this person. And if you reinvest, this is what I do with people. I reinvest in them all the time. Remember when I said 98 countries over 350 times? Because I go back to the same places over and over and over, and I reinvest in those relationships. I keep showing up. That's the soft skill that has radically expanded my life expanded my love for humanity, giving me empathy towards all types of people. The Swami people of Finland, they're like the Native Americans of the US. They were persecuted too. I knew nothing about them, but I got like three Swami friends because I kept going back to learn about how they were hurt in history. People, man, building meaningful relationships with people will help you so much on a personal and a business level. It's uncanny.
1: Mm. All right. So this one is the converse. What is the worst investing advice you ever received?
0: I wanna scale, Mm. I hate that. There's nothing wrong with scaling. When you are scaling as a consequence of wanting to help more people, I think it's a beautiful thing. When you are scaling in the context of, I wanna make more money, I don't buy it. Because Mm. when you chase money, it runs. But when you make money out of a consequence of helping people, it's awesome. So we have scaled Quattro. Quattro Capital is the syndication firm I have, and we've scaled. We've moved into new systems. We have about maybe 1500 investors now. I think I've invested about 90 million of people's money. We had to scale our systems to support our investors. But that's me trying to provide a service to my investors. I have to do that. Right. On on the coaching side that I do, I refuse to scale. I personally do not wanna do group coaching so I can have a thousand customers. I don't wanna create a digital product. I don't. What I want, yes, I wanna get paid. I, I do, my time is valuable. But selfishly, I want to build really deep connections and relationships with these amazing humans who are wanting to redesign their lifestyle into something they don't need a vacation from. So by the time we're done coaching after a three-month period, we're friends. I have these amazing human friends all over the world, right? But I can only handle 10 people at a time, just time-wise. But it's immersion. It's beautiful, man. So no, I don't want to scale my coaching business. I want to keep it right where it is so I can connect with people in a meaningful way. So this default of you got to scale, says who? Like, What is your goal for the whole thing? I I don't like when people just automatically go to everybody has to scale.
1: When they default to that, yeah, it's too much. Yeah. What do you do to recharge your batteries?
0: I'm a gym rat again, thank Mm. God. My oldest son who I helped design his life. He is now a aspiring professional bodybuilder because he didn't want to be in the office environment. So we, we reverse engineered his lifestyle and how he's going to support it. But on August 3rd of last year, which is my birthday, he looked at me and he pretty much said, Dad, you look like shit. Where's the football dad I used to know who took care of himself? And he just woke me up, Chris. Wow. And I was 252 pounds where normally I should be roaming around 225. I was still going to the gym, but you cannot out-gym a bad diet, so (laughs) I gave up beer. I started getting a certain amount of protein every day. I have not missed taking a set of supplemental vitamins in almost a year. I started a push-up challenge in May. I have not missed one to 200 push-ups a day in almost over 65 days now. I'm deadlifting 500 pounds again. My abs are back. Man, that's what I do to recharge. I'm at the gym every morning at 4 a.m., assuming I'm in town, but I'm doing something around 4 a.m. physically because that's what keeps me going.
1: And what would be the advice that you would give your younger self from what you know now?
0: When I talk about it on LinkedIn now, it comes out as this seamless thing that happened. No, not even close, right? Mm. What I would tell him is go find like-minded people as soon as you can. Mm. I did way too much of it on my own. And as I think about it today, just the amount of lonely nights, Accenture during the day, street cop shit at night, real estate on the weekend, the fellas are going out, but I need to do tenants, termites, and toilet bowls and stuff. And I really never sought out support while I was doing it. I made a mistake. And it's such a visceral journey when you are trying to get your freedom. And I had this drive behind me, man. Like I would have dared someone to step in front of me for what I was trying mm. to achieve. Yes, There are certain things I want to achieve today. I don't think it's wise for someone to say that I can't. You probably don't want to get in front of me. But I did it a lot alone. But now I have folks like you. And now I have my business partners. And now I have people all over the world who understand me and the LinkedIn community who appreciates the content I put out because I did go on that journey and stuff. But that was a little bit too much for one person to handle What I it what is. I did. So it's tough to... When I think about it it's a very hard thing for me.
1: No, it is and this is where I want to thank you for sharing that here because the reality yes. is that this podcast is here because other people are on this journey and they may not yeah. be talking about it. They may not be talking about money, they may not be talking about career, but ultimately you know to to put a bow on this whole thing, right, is oh, you God. figured out the career in how the career could give you the life that you wanted. And then you yes. started doing extra time to say, well, wait, I need the career to then fuel this money thing so I can get to this point where I own my time. Yes. And I'm blessed that the majority of this journey, you know, I had my wife, but there yeah. was many years when I was trying to figure out the career thing where you know, I was on the road alone and I had a tour of duty where I was in Asia and it was an amazing experience, mm-hmm. made a lot of relationships, but there was also long nights, feeling alone, doing a lot of solo traveling that is good. And I think what we want everyone to know listening is like, we're here, you know, Maurice is exactly. online on LinkedIn. He also is at trylifeon.com. Is that right?
0: You got it. Trylifeon.com. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and we're here, we're here on a podcast, you know, I've now started a monthly meetup so that we can just gather and have small intimate sessions where people can have like-minded people talking about career and money and everything that goes in between. I mean, last night, nice. you know, we were talking with somebody who is now, you know, like us, like-minded, doing some real estate stuff. They've just had now their first kid. And mom wants to take some time off of work, so now all of a sudden, okay, income's going to be decreasing. They're managing mm-hmm. a lot of things going on, and some of us in these journey, we have to what I call thread the needle. Like it's like, okay, yeah. we're going to compress, we're going to do this for the family. It's good for the health, it's good for the time, but it's hard. And having people along the journey is so important.
0: It's hard, and I appreciate you saying that. And anyone who's listening to this, like send me a DM on LinkedIn or send me an email, maurice at trylifeon.com or go through the Quattro Capital website, track me down. But people who are entrepreneurial minded sometimes feel isolated and ostracized Mm. because it's not like they can just go back to work and be like, yo, I'm opening a coffee shop tomorrow when at work you're supposed to be writing a strategic plan for that client. So if you're trying to do right by your company for sure, but you're also on this other thing. And when you don't have people to talk about it who understand it and have been there, it can be very isolating. So I encourage, go find someone. And if you cannot, then track me down and I will be your support system in some kind of way.
1: That's beautiful. Well, I wanna thank you so much for being on the podcast. And for everybody listening, we are a new podcast. So please listen on Apple, Google, Spotify. Please leave us a review. Let us know what you're taking away from this podcast and tell somebody else right? Tell somebody else because this journey of career and money can be incredibly confusing, but we're here with you on the journey. Thank you. No doubt. Thank you.